Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This one coming to you from Seattle, Washington, which, um, what was going on here this week, guys? Anything? Just a little. No. Coffee festival? I'm not sure. We're all here together. This is this is the only time we get the podcast in person together each year. Not necessarily. We can maybe we do winter one? meetings. We haven't, have we? Um, or have we? I feel like we probably have, not last year. Yeah, it's, it's been a little while. But well, this is historic. This is the first time we've ever podcast from the copy room <laughs> yes. of an NFL team yes. at the NFL stadium. That's true. It is. We are, uh, and we are going to podcast like an NFL champion, like an MLB champion today. But there's a, there is a sign above the door here that says copy like an NFL champion today. Always um, got to motivate. Always motivate. By the way, um, I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callison, Jonathan Mayo. That's, that's who we are. Uh, yep. People sitting here. I'm glad you pointed at, at us when you did that. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure which one I was. We're all very groggy. This is definitely yeah, I want to make the sure most groggy know. podcast we've. And we actually probably got a little more sleep last night than we had the previous few nights. At least I sure. did because I wasn't preparing for the draft as hard. But it's 6:45 p.m. Pacific time, and I think we left the hotel to come to do day three of the draft <laughs> nine ten hours ago. Yeah. So. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so we are we're just wrapping up, uh, you know, as we often talk about our busiest week, month of the year. Uh, it was fun, as always, uh, rather chaotic, as always. Started off with the high school All-American game on Friday, high school home run derby on Saturday, followed by the Futures game Saturday night. First day of the draft on Sunday, day two, Monday, day three, today. Uh, so it's been, like I said, a fun and chaotic week. Um, we're going to go through all those things for you, and we're going we're gonna to do it reverse chronological order. Uh, so we'll kind of start with the biggest thing first. Round 20 of the draft. Is <laughs> yeah, that what we're starting with? Exactly. Round 20. Pick yeah. number 614. We're going to uh, analyze each and every pick for you. Now, we're not going to do that, but we're going we're gonna to start with the draft uh, but no, let's not start at the at the bottom of it. Let's start at the top. Um, and I mean, the story going into it, as we've talked about over and over, was the top five guys were the top five guys. Um, Jim and Jonathan, fortunately, you guys do not have to uh, quit on the spot because you had, you had promised that if anyone other than a top member of the top five uh, went number one overall, that you would 
resign in shame on the spot. Didn't that would have put you in a bind. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, I'd be sitting here doing the podcast by myself in the copy room. <laughs> um, so yeah, a little bit of a surprise in that it was schemes number one. Um, See, I don't think it was that much of a surprise. Well, okay. No, because here's the thing. But you put the uh, you put the odds on you put the odds on it. Well, that was as as that as we, we put said, the odds on a week have, earlier. We would have changed the odds some. I mean, I don't know that schemes would have gotten that days. much more. It was a few days before because we had we both had Langford going number one, and he was fourth I in mean, our. I would like to say, for the record, not that it matters because my final draft I changed it, but my previous two mocks I had Paul Skeens going one. It wasn't like it was such an outlandish. No. Because here's what it came down to. This was the same thing with the Orioles last year. It behooves the teams not to tip their hand to try to negotiate the best price with the guy they wind up picking. And so we're going to have, like, unless you have a situation where Adley Rutschman was clearly going to be the Orioles guy, and even then you had Bobby Wood Jr., a lot of people liked, we're just in an era now with the bonus pools where you don't know who's going to go number one, and all you can do is make an educated guess. But I think I don't remember exactly what I wrote or what you wrote, Jonathan, but I think going into the final day, if you had asked us right when the draft started, it was like 33 and a third percent Paul Skeens, 33 and a third percent Dylan Cruz, 33 and a third percent Wyatt Langford at that point. And, but I, it was just, you, nobody had any inkling. You just had to guess which guy you thought it was going to be. Yep. And I think they took the best guy and the guy that makes most sense for the club. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it seemed like the chatter in the 24 to 48 hours leading up to it was that it was going to be a bat. That's true. No, I think there was more leaning than, you know, your, your adding of the percentages. I would have left a small percentage for Max Clark in there. Yeah, zero percent. It was zero percent. They were still talking to him. <laughs> Turns out it was, you know, you know I, I, I didn't think they would take him. Yeah. But uh, something would have had to gone terribly askew for that to, to have happened. But, um, you know, I know you and I were talking about when we did a last, last mock and I was, I, I thought that it was more likely to be a, a hitter. And I, I came very close to putting Dylan Cruz back in the top spot, which I hadn't had in quite some time and ended up with Wyatt Langford. But, uh, you know, I'm glad they took Paul Skeens. You know, it clearly was a strong possibility and, uh, you know, he is going to be a game changer for this, for that organization. So you, you both like it. it yes. You know, and that's that's what you both would have done in that position. Yeah, I think we said that. But like I said, I think it was our podcast. I've done so many podcasts over the last, like, two weeks. And I did a Pirates podcast. So maybe I said it there. As long as they picked one of the clear-cut top guys, I think it was fine. Because you can make a case. You could make a case for five different guys. And the three college guys were probably ahead. It would be more like if they took a guy – to save $2 million, that was the primary reason to take the guy one. That would not have been a good decision. But they didn't do that. Like, in, like look, you could if they'd taken Dylan Cruz, I would have said, good pick. If they take a White Langford, I would have said, good pick. But, like, we were both, I mean. But this, in your estimation, was the best pick. He was the number I one. So. Yeah, number one guy on our board. And I do think the majority of teams would have taken, like, money aside, taken Dylan Cruz because hitters are supposed to be safe for the pitchers. But, again, I mean, you know, I wrote the story sometime recently, I can't remember when, on the greatest draft pitchers of all time and Steven Stroud, pitching prospects of all time at the time of the draft. And he was kind of 1B to Steven Strasburg's 1A. Those guys come along every 10 years or so if you're lucky. That, yeah. And I just look at the Pirates. I mean, they did hit it. They took Garrett Cole number one 10 years ago, in fact. 
didn't get the maximum value out of him. He became better after they traded him. But, you know, like with Paul Skeens, if you don't take Paul, if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates, if you don't take Paul Skeens here, the next time you're getting a chance to get Paul Skeens when he's a free agent, like in 2030, and he's going to cost you $400 million, and they aren't going to pay that. So it's like if you want a pitcher of this caliber, unless you luck into him later in the draft, you have to take the guy at one. Speaking of what they're going to pay him, pick value $9.72 million. What's he going to get? I think low nines. Yeah, nine one, nine two, somewhere around there. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because, like, on one hand, you could say, like, if you really offered Paul Skeens $8 million and he's a pitcher, is he going back to LSU? No. Like, you're not going to take that risk, but you're not going to try to, like, leverage the guy's own talent against him. So there's no – the record's 8-4 something that Spencer Torkelson got, right? Do you have the number in front of you? You look like you were – I don't know. Oh, okay. You <laughs> glanced out your computer. I thought you were going to hit this with the center. But, like, Spencer Torkelson got – and then the slots jumped 10% this year. And, and nobody's going to get nine point seven million dollars. I wouldn't think. No, I mean he'll set a he'll set a record, and the Pirates will save some of their bonus pool money, which is kind of why all along we've been saying whoever the pick was, you know, whether it was going to be Skeens or or Cruz, especially because I think there was a, a general feeling that if it was anyone else, even Langford, like would be some savings. But the point we often made was, well, it's not going to be enough savings because you're going to save money and you can take the best guy. And that's what they did. I wonder I wonder if Dylan Cruz gets more than Paul Skeens. Yeah, so that's slot value. Well, we haven't even said yet. I mean, people know that are listening to this, but we haven't gone down. Let's run through the top five quickly. Sure. Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, historic, and teammates going with first two picks, mm-hmm. first time ever. Uh, so Cruz to the Nats. Uh, Tigers had the third pick, took Max Clark um, out of Franklin Community High School in Indiana. The Rangers took Wyatt Langford out of Florida, and the Twins took Walker Jenkins uh, from the North Carolina prep ranks. Um, that Those were the five guys that, that you guys knew were going to go with the top five picks. There was always that question, uh, who goes six? And we talked about that quite a bit ended up being one of the guys who had been talked about there um, at various points, Jacob Wilson from Grand Canyon. Uh, we talked quite a bit about Skeens. Um, what what did you think about the way the top five shook out? And, and maybe we should expand that to the top ten. And really, uh, and now I'm, I'm cascading here, Like you could just extend it to the entire first round because I think the answer is that it went – very much according to Hoyle, right? Yeah, I mean, starting at the top, I mean, like, I, I, every pick went, every pick who won the first round, the first 28 picks, was somebody who's mentioned a possibility one point or another. Well, I'll get to the two guys who went there in the first round. But I say at the top, the two, if you want to call them picks that were maybe in question and maybe played out a little differently than we thought they would or might have, you heard a lot of talk that the Tigers wanted college hitters at three. And they took Max Clark, a high school hitter. Now, I think part of that may have been to save some money on Max Clark so they could get Kevin McGonigal with their next pick, Mm -hmm. which was strategic. But that one was like a mild surprise. But again, we were hearing – I was having people tell me, don't rule out Max Clark going three. And they were right. And then the Twins, there was some suspicion. You know, hey, they're a model-based team. They may not want a high school hitter. They could go – I think you had Jacob Jacob Gonzalez, Gonzalez or they could go a pitcher. And they took Walker Jenkins. And I'll say real quick, it was cool they took Walker Jenkins 
we talked on previous podcasts, late Mike Radcliffe, probably one of our favorite people in baseball, one of the baseball's most loved scouts, most respected scouts. Mike Radcliffe put in, I think, a seven or an eight on Walker Jenkins, like overall, like a year ago. And one of the last times I talked to Mike, he was telling me how he liked Walker Jenkins more than Max Clark. And so it was kind of cool they got the guy that Mike really liked. The other thing that was cool is I remember he, he texted. It was probably the last thing he texted the last time we communicated how he was looking forward to seeing how Jenkins versus Clark would play out because he loved Jenkins. And I said, hey, how about Skeens versus Dolander? And he's like, oh, good one. I think Skeens is going to catch him in the end at the time that that was not the popular opinion. So that was, that was kind of cool. No, no, that's I. You hadn't told me that story yeah. before, so that's great. Yeah, I, I think there was probably some debate with the twins, but it sounds like Jenkins was the guy they wanted all along. You know, given where things were, and they just didn't know how it was going to play out. You know, we had thought that the Rangers would be like a Clark versus Jenkins nexus point, um, but uh, it didn't exactly go that way. And, and the twins were happy to to get Jenkins where where they were. Do you want to talk about? Uh, and then six, you mentioned Jacob Wilson going six. Uh, I mean, there were a bunch of college bats being mentioned there. Um, so it was just a question of which one they wanted to take. And Wilson's the kind of guy who will look very good in most team models because of the contact rates and the ability to play shortstop and things like that. Um, I guess the only other one in the top ten that I don't want to say surprising because we both mentioned and I ended up mocking Blake Mitchell going eight to the Royals, but they've now sort of have this little niche of taking a pretty talented high school player and probably saving money on that high school player. But Blake Mitchell's got a ton of talent. It's just that high school catching demographic is a little risky. And we've said all along that if he didn't go eight, who knows where he would have gone. Um, So I wouldn't call that like a shock. And then I guess the only other note I would say in the top 10 is Noble Meyer going 10. There was some question and debate, you know, whether or not they might go for a college hitter. Uh, and uh, instead they went for, you know, the guy who was really the, the maybe the best player on the board. Well, Kyle Teal, I guess we had ranked a spot higher. But, um, you know, the, the Marlins end up kind of going all in because not only did they take Noble Meyer at 10, but with their comp pick, they got Thomas White. So they got the, the top two high school pitchers in the entire class. I think everybody six through 10 – we mocked to those teams at one point or another. Maybe not in the final mock. but the, the, I think the only two we haven't mentioned in the top ten, uh, Rhett Lauder, Wake Forest, right-hander, went to the Reds uh, at seven, and at nine, Chase Dolander, who you mentioned before, uh, went to the Rockies. So, um, all right, beyond uh, – you, you got something? To well, mention? I was just going to say toward the end of the first round, like – like so, you go down, and almost every player was, I think, we mocked at one time or another. Almost every one of them to these teams. Like, I don't think we thought Kyle Teal was going to quite fall to fourteen, but I know I think I had him at thirteen. Maybe you had him. We, we knew he was sliding a little bit. Arjun Namala, we didn't put twenty to the Blue Jays, but we knew he was sliding. Like, yeah. there, there were so many college hitters, and there were so many high school hitters worthy of first round picks. You just didn't know what order they were going to go go in, and even. The guys who were maybe the lowest ranked players were the guy who had the most, the biggest fall based on where he had him ranked. I don't think those were surprises. The, the Guardians, I did not say Indians, the Guardians took Ralphie Velasquez at 23. Like, shocking. The Guardians took one of the best high school hitters in the draft. Like, who could have seen that coming? That's that like a Guardians move. That, so that wasn't really a surprise. Aiden Miller, we talked about. Jonathan and I both love Aiden Miller's prospect. 
I, I, I'm not going to go on a long tirade about how it's ridiculous that his age and the fact that he missed most of the season with a broken handmate were held against him. But, you know, the guy was the best hitter on the showcase circuit last year. And we knew he was, we knew one of these high school guys was probably going to fall. I'm sure he's going to get an overslap bonus probably at 27, you know, but it wasn't a surprise. You know, I think you even had him going lower. You had him going to Mariners who had a big bonus pool. Yeah. They had extra picks. So I thought that made some sense. And then, you know, Bryce Matthews, who we ranked 57th, who the Astros took at 28, really athletic kid who had a great year at, at Nebraska. I'd heard two, three weeks ago, Bryce Matthews could go to the Astros. And then it's funny. I ran that by the Astros. They're like, ah, probably more second round. And, it turned out to be first round in the end. But like, so even that, when it happened, I more kind of said to myself, ah, well, like we heard that. So like yeah. I, none of these picks floored me. I do wonder at sometimes the pick like that, maybe they wanted him to go and get him in the second round, but they got a pretty good sense that he wouldn't be around and they really liked him. So they decided to take him when they took him, you know, rather than, than risk not not getting him. It was, a, it was a guy they really liked, and there wasn't anyone else still on the board that really jumped out to them. He was the only pick among the true first-round picks, uh, not including the, the two uh, that came 10 spots lower because of being penalized. The only one of the true first-round picks of the first 28 picks that was ranked outside of the, our top 34. So, yeah, very closely uh, yep. following course there all right let's uh let's talk about uh some of the teams that you feel like did well um how do we want to tackle this uh jonathan give me one can it be a homer (laughs) when when have you ever not been a homer oh come on that's not true you know and i don't think they're i don't think they've had the they had the best draft. Um, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things. And Jim is is you know writing the story on the, on the best halls, but like I know who they were one through eight in order in my head. Um, and uh, you know, you get you have the number one pick, and you take the guy that you should take, or one of the guys you should take. It's hard not to pick the Pirates just because of Paul Skeens alone. Um, I know that. He, you know, if you're looking at sort of the entirety of the class, it, it's maybe not as, as good. I think, you know, Xander Meath is fine. I really like Garrett Forrester, the third round pick. It's kind of a under the radar guy who I think is going to really, really hit. You know, one of these college performers may be better than a lot of people expect, sort of like a Kyle Manzardo and just, you know, lump all the Pacific Northwest yeah. college guys together. So I think that, you know, we were hoping that maybe there would have been like another high upside high school arm that they would have grabbed, um, you know, kind of like the Nationals grabbed Travis Sakura in the third round. Uh, but shy of that, there are some other guys with some some upside. Even Carlson Reed and Patrick Riley are two college arms who have some upside, even if it's not quite that like wow, you know, of uh, a couple of years ago when when the Pirates after taking Henry Davis got all those you know incredible picks later on, but. So I will uh, I will pick with my stick with my hometown team as a uh, you know I'm glad they got Paul Skeens and yeah sure it's part of it because like I can't wait to go to PNC Park and watch Paul Skeens pitch that's gonna be fun. They are one of three teams that selected ten players that were ranked on our top two fifty list and 
Jim, you, you <laughs> may want to. I have signable. I, yeah, I you calculated to overall, and I was exactly. in my head when I was working on the best draft hall story, which still needs to be written. Um, maybe I'll just dictate it here, and we can transform into story. But uh, I, I was counting guys. I thought they had a chance to sign because you, you know, for like instance, the Pirates took Daniel Cuvet in the seventeenth round. They're not going to sign Daniel Cuvet, so I didn't really register that on my radar as a top two fifty pick. Or it doesn't matter. It's not a uh, one that's really going to re- you know be reflected in my story because I don't think they're going to sign it. But but yeah, they, they still had nine, which t- is tied the Reds for me as the most signable top 100, 250 picks. Yeah. So disregarding whether whether they're signable, the, the three uh, teams that, that got 10 ranked players were the Orioles, the Reds, and the Pirates. What, what about the Orioles? How many, how many signable? I, had, I only had eight. Yeah. I'm going have to, to have to look at the Orioles here real, real quick. The one thing, we have like a, a two-second lag. None of us have memorized exactly who drafted who <laughs> you know, deep in the draft. But yeah, so the Orioles in rounds 18 and 19 took two of my favorite players, Tanner Witt and Colin Ritchie, but I don't think they're going to be signable yeah. there unless something blows up and they, they have extra money left over. But we'll see. And so some other teams that uh, you, you like what they did. How about, how about you, Jim? Yeah, well, I'll give you two, I think, that stood out the most to me. Well, we'll save some suspense. You'll have to read the story to see who comes in Number one, I'm giving yeah. you two teams here. Serpentine, we're serpentining this. So, Jonathan, you're going to have <laughs> no to No one is surprised you're giving us more than one team. Go no, on. no, that's fine. But, like, the two teams to me were the Reds and the Giants. And, and I like teams I, – I, I guess my tiebreaker would be depth. I want teams – you know, like, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to have Paul Skeens. I'd love to have Dylan Cruz. But, anyway, the Reds – so, the Reds, it was interesting. They were kind of the, one, one of the losers in the draft lottery last year. They should have the fourth overall pick if, if we didn't change the rules and have a lottery. And then they would have had one of those top five guys in the draft, you know, one of the top five number one overall pick candidates we were talking about. But instead they picked seventh. And I think they had a little hope that maybe Walker Jenkins would get to him because if the Twins didn't go Jenkins, the A's were probably going to take a college guy. It, but that didn't work out. But, but it's still the draft worked out very well for him. They got Red Louder, who's as polished as any college pitcher in this draft. They got Ty Floyd, who's tried out 17 in the College World Series in his last start. You know, and they've had a lot of success with pitchers recently. Then they got – I was kind of surprised that they got these guys as low in the draft as they did. They got two high upside high school kids. They, they got Sammy Stiffer in the second round, and we were hearing him in the first round. I mean, granted, it helped that they had three of the top 43 picks, but still got him in the second round. They got Cole Schoenwetter, who's a California high school right-hander, who both has – some polish to them and some upside. So that was a good get. And then they just had an overall deep draft. Hunter Holland's kind of a polished lefty out of Arkansas. Connor Burns, best defensive catcher in the draft. They got Ethan O'Donnell, who's kind of a college performer, and on and on and on. So I, I really liked what the Reds did. And then the Giants were the other team that stuck out to me. And it was interesting. So they, they, they took Bryce Eldridge at 16. They had the 16th overall pick. And I, I think you heard the same thing, Jonathan. They really liked Colorado high school shortstop Walker Martin a lot. And they were thinking about taking him at 16. And he got to pick 52, which I'm sure they probably, you know, helped as much as they could. And then with their supplemental second-round pick, they got Joe Whitman, who I thought was the best college lefty in the draft. Uh, and they added some depth behind those guys, too. Cole Foster, solid college shortstop from Auburn. Maui Huna didn't have the offensive year people wanted to see. We thought he had a potential to be a top 15 pick. 
coming into the year. Um, good defender, and on and on and on. They got my my obscure Texas JUCO guy, Josh Bostic, who I think was under the radar, but has a has a really good arm. So I thought those two teams had had quality and depth. Those were the two that stood out to me. I'll throw in one more team just so even up. We talked about the Marlins, and I mentioned the fact that they got Noble Meyer and Thomas White right up the bat, which I love them being aggressive that way. But I know you love Kemp Alderman, a toolsy you know guy from Ole Miss. So it's, maybe not as deep later on, but that first three, and that was all on day one. Like that was an exciting day one for the Marlins. And I even like Brock Friedenberg. Yeah. I, I think he's, he's one of the better pure hitters in the, in the conference. Round, yeah. So yeah, I, I like that one too. All right. Well, you saved us a little time because I was going to wait for you to give us another team, and then I had in mind I wanted to ask you what you guys thought about the Marlins uh, draft class. So, so yeah, we knew we're, we're, we're on the same page. It's, it helps when we're in the same room. It does. It does. We're All podcasting right. like an NFL champion. <laughs> yes, we are. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to stick with the draft for a little bit. We want to talk about the best value in each of the top and rounds. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, I pointed at them again so they know who they are. Jim was yawning at this, at this aggressively. Point, little, yeah, I could get, easily we, get confused, so yes. I'm glad you're doing it. All right. Uh, we, Jonathan's going to start naming three guys for every question you ask. So that's because he forgot who he was. <laughs> uh, we want to look at the best value pick in each of the top ten rounds. We will... What do you get? You want to you want to start at the top and work down, or you want to start at ten and work? No, down? I think no, start at the top. you're going to confuse me if you start round ten. <laughs> All right, we'll start in the middle. <laughs> How about you just throw out a random round? <laughs> and then, oh. All right, round one. Here we go. This is uh, wait, wait. this is going to be Jonathan. We're going we're going to alternate. We're not. We didn't do the serpent. Well, it's not. No, we're not. It's not a draft. We're not drafting. We're not drafting the draft. We're just commenting. Just simply yeah. alternating. All right. Uh, Jonathan. Yeah, well, we, we've talked about Aiden Miller a little bit, you know, uh, and he's a guy who, talent-wise, probably belonged a lot higher in the draft. So for the Phillies to get him at 27, uh, even if they have to go over slots to sign him, I think that was a, a very good get for them. The broken hamate really hurt him. I mean, he was a little older for his class, but uh, all this guy did was hit and hit for power. He probably moves over to third base, but as I think a very good value at the end of the first round of potential top 10 talent. He was uh, taken at number 27, was ranked number 13. All right, second round, Jim. I'm going to go with Walker Martin. We kind of alluded to him. We were talking about you know teams who had the best drafts. The Giants were looking at him very seriously with the 16th pick, and they got him at 52. Athletic Colorado high school shortstop, former quarterback. May, I mean, I don't know, it feels clear. He may outgrow the position. He, he's very athletic. But he may wind up at third base, but he's got the power profile there. And, I, you know, this was a guy who had interest all over the second half of the first round, and they got him in the middle of the second round. So I think that was a, a great get for the Giants. Named after? Larry Walker. Yeah, just making sure you uh, – you, 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 I had to think. To we, we, we talked about it, and I was like, oh, God, I know we talked about it. So. <laughs> Herschel Walker. Uh, Johnny Walker. Larry Walker. Oh, all right. So. Round three, Jonathan. 
you know, there are a couple of like toolsy high schoolers, you know, that, that often go, you know, the sort of high end high schoolers. And I ended up going with um, Eric Batanti, taken by the Brewers, uh, six foot four left handed hitting infielder, uh, ton, a ton of raw power, uh, very athletic. I doubt he plays shortstop in the long run, although occasionally he should have really good body control there. I think he moves over to third base. Uh, you know, I like kind of what the the Brewers did with some of their sort of high-end high schoolers that took Josh, Josh Noth earlier in the game, early in the draft. But uh, there's some swing and miss to Vitanti, but I, I thought for, for third round, like the upside in the ceiling was considerable. All right, three picks. Three high school shortstops, some some of whom may or may not stay at shortstop. Going back to Walker Martin real quick, taken 52nd by the Giants, he was ranked number 30. And Batanti, taken by the Brewers at 87, was ranked number 68, just to give you kind of a snapshot of the relative value there. All right, round four, Jim. Uh, another guy I already talked about earlier in the podcast, Cole Schoenwetter, going to the Reds early in the fourth round. All right, so you don't have to talk about him again if everybody can just rewind and listen to <laughs> yeah. well i mean i was just, what i was gonna say was interesting is you know we, we give the same speech every year when we're doing the day two broadcast is that most of your high-priced high school guys who didn't, don't get drafted on day one you figure they're going to go early on day two to the teams of the biggest bonus pools you know i should say in the third round or what is what i mean by early top of the third round teams with big bonus pools or you aren't going to sign so when they took Sean winner in the fourth round i was like whoa like i just kind of written him off like okay didn't go in the third round we're not going to hear hear his name being called and they'd already taken you know sammy stafura who's probably might, might cost some extra money so that one really surprised me that they, they went the college typical college guy hunter holland and then fourth round they come back with the high upside high school guy all right uh yeah taken with the 105th pick and ranked number 43 on our top 250. Uh, round five, Jonathan. Finally going to go to a college guy. There we go. Yeah, Spencer Nivens from Missouri State. Uh, great backstory because he had a red shirt uh, out of the gate and then had to really compete just to stay on the roster. Uh, and then he was the, you know, fred- he was a freshman All-American in 2022 and was uh, – player of the year in the Missouri Valley Conference this year. Can really hit. He does not strike out. Makes a ton of contact. I guess there was some debate as to how much power he was going to have, uh, but he has the chance to maybe get to average power. Left-handed hitter, really good swing. Maybe has a chance to, to play center field. Maybe he moves over to uh, to a corner, but I think it's the bat that's really interesting there. And, uh, you know, the reports were that if the team believed in this ability to hit for power that maybe he could go as high as the third round. So getting him in the fifth was, uh, was a good get. Yeah. He goes number one forty two was ranked number one nineteen. round six, Jim. One of my favorite players in the draft that I've brought up on the broadcast a thousand times since, uh, the fall Cooper Pratt, high school shortstop from Mississippi went to the Brewers and it was funny. So on the day two broadcast, we had a brief lull, and so I filled time by saying, okay, look, we're at the point where the top high school guys, like, you're not going to be able to sign them anymore. And I think Cam Johnson was number one on our board of undrafted players. And I know I mentioned Cooper Pratt. And then, like, I don't know, it was like 10 picks later, Cooper Pratt went. And I was just like, what? Like, how did this happen? <laughs> and it was funny. So we had, you know, at one point when Jonathan had a couple players in a row, I'm texting, and I'm texting the Brewers, and I'm texting – uh, the guys who are advising Cooper Pratt, and I'm like, 
he's is he signable here? And both sides were like, yeah, we're going to get this worked out. Uh, so like, I, I was shocked. But anyway, we don't have to go into the whole Cooper Pratt scouting report because you've heard me say this a thousand times. The shorthand is he's the right-handed version of who? Uh, I, now you're testing me. Uh, I heard you. I, Gunnar Henderson. Yes. I he's, even heard you say it. Took me a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a private school kid from the South, similar build, hits right-handed, athletic, might move to third, but really advanced bat. Um, I, I think that I'm calling it right now. Assuming they get him signed, that's a steal of the draft. Cooper Pratt's in the Futures game in like a couple years. We'll be wow. like, how'd that guy last six rounds? So great, great pick by the Brit. It seemed like Jonathan, I'm going to brief interlude here. We talked about it with Schoenwitter going a little bit lower. The guy you're going to bring up next was a guy who we were surprised went where he went and is going to be signable. But it seemed like when teams were like, like that we just named three examples, we're about to name the third. That there were some teams this year that instead of just taking your high upside high school guy with your first pick, you know, on day two in the third round, it's like, well, you know, we know nobody else is taking this guy. We've committed the money to him. He's not going to, you know, at this point, you want insurances the guy's going to sign for the price you want. And they took the regular priced guys they wanted first, and it's like, okay, now we'll take Cooper Pratt in the sixth round. So I, I, I thought that was interesting. I don't remember that being as much of a trend in the past. Well, that's now two Brewers picks that you guys have named as uh, the best values of the round. So uh, Pratt, number 182, was ranked number 45 on our top 250. Round seven, Jonathan. Uh, is this the tallest guy we're going to talk about? It might be. George, uh, George Walkow is uh, six foot seven, uh, Illinois prepster, big left-handed power bat. There are questions about the hit tool, some swing and miss. Uh, you're that big, there's going to be some length to his, to your swing, and he's going to need to work on some of his swing decisions and his overall approach at the plate. Uh, but huge power. He's athletic. He actually runs pretty well. You know, could be a, a right fielder you know, with a good arm, fit that athletic power hitting right field type. And again, to Jim's point, a guy like this normally hasn't gone in the seventh round in the bonus pool system. So I wonder if some of these teams – adjusted on the fly and weren't thinking they were going to have it. But the earlier rounds, they didn't get guys to agree to bonuses and they shifted. And as they moved on, they realized they had money to, to aggressively go after some of these guys. I, you know, we won't know for a while about that, but um, it, it is interesting to see these types of players going this late. And, and that was another one. As soon as that happened, my jaw hit the floor and I got, got on my phone and, George Walcott is going to get done. Like, I, there's no question in my mind. This isn't like, we'll take him and we hope to work something out. The Brewers are going to sign Pratt and the White Sox are going to sign Walcott. Walcott was ranked number 71 in the top 250. goes with pick number 209. Round eight, Jim. Well, when, when you read off where this guy was ranked compared to where he went, this is a guy I was very bullish on. I had some scouts who really liked him. And, you know, other teams were maybe not as high. And, and Julian Brock, who's a catcher at Louisiana Lafayette, I think this is a steal for the Rangers. And it's a nice get for the Rangers because they didn't have a second or third round pick for the second year in a row. And I feel like they got a guy who could have gone in the third to fifth round. The college catching crop was very bleak this year. Say that three times fast. College catching. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I'm so tired. I couldn't get it out. I already said I can only say it once. Anyway, like he's interesting to me because he he's it's power over hit. He's got strength. He's got plus raw power. But he made some strides with his approach to play. And, I, and he showed more hitting ability this year than he had in the past. He's handled quality, you know, fastballs well, and he got more consistent against breaking balls. And he's 6'3", 220. 
He's fairly athletic for, for a catcher that size, moves well behind the plate. His receivings, you know, he still needs to clean up more, but, like, nobody's saying he can't stay behind the plate. He blocks balls well. He has solid arm strength, quick release. I think this was an absolute steal in round eight, although I don't think there was – obviously, if there was more consensus on the industry about where we had him ranked, which I'll just say it now instead of making Jason do it. <laughs> we had him ranked 122, and he ranked two, he went 231. If there's more consensus, he obviously would have gone higher. But, like, he was one of my favorite guys in the draft for, for where he went. All right, round nine, Jonathan. I'm going to go with with Jake Peppers. When we get to this part of the draft, there aren't as many, uh, and there's a good differential between where he was drafted and his rank. I'll, I'll help out as well. You know, the White Sox took him number two sixty nine, uh, and he was ranked one eighty seven. So based on that, that that's value. Um, Jacksonville State right hander. Uh, he, he's relieved. He's started. I mean, I think you give him a chance to start at the next level because there are three pitches that, that work command-wise. Maybe he ends up in the bullpen. Um, wonder, you know, we've really shortened him up and he gets a little stronger. If he could start, you know, approaching upper 90s on a regular basis, maybe triple digits. Uh, he's got a very good slider that missed a ton of bats. And he's got feel for a changeup. So, like I said, give him a chance to start and see what happens. Um, but he has the stuff to be you know, a big leaguer in some capacity, and to get that in the ninth round is is pretty good value. Second White Sox pick in our best values here. And final round that we're going to pick the best value pick for here, Jim. Well, tenth I was, round. I'm really disappointed because I thought we were going to go all 20, but that's okay. Um, tenth round, uh, Twins got Ross Dunn, a left-hander out of Arizona State, who transferred from Florida State. And, you know, he's got a deceptive low 90s. He's three-pitch lefty. He's got a deceptive low 90s fastball. His low 80s slider is probably his best pitch. He's got a mid-80s changeup. Yeah, he needs to improve his command, but he's a lefty with three pitches. He's got a good build, 6'3", 225. We had him ranked 140. He went 297. Um, you know, not the greatest statistical success this year. Um, and, you know, if you can get him more consistent, you might have a number four starter potentially. So, um, I thought that was a real good get in the 10th round. I think I've said good get about 10 times mm-hmm. during this segment, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll stop now. But, yeah, I, I thought that's uh, I thought that's an interesting way to look at the first 10 rounds. All right. And we should mention there is a ton of draft content on MLB.com slash pipeline. Also, MLB.com slash draft is where everything draft-related lives. Uh, and, and I should say, guys, Great job on on uh, your draft coverage again this year. Uh, you guys are fantastic. Everything you do on the site, on the network, uh, podcast, and of course our entire team, uh, the pipeline team. Um, it, it's it's uh, you know a labor of love, uh, but a lot of labor <laughs> yeah. and a lot of well love. said. Um, and kudos to your leadership too. I mean, yes. you're the one who asked to. I often tell people when we do draft broadcast that, you know, working with Greg Amsinger or Melanie Newman the last two days, the person has to be traffic cop when there's so many elements going on and so many people involved. It, people don't realize, like, I don't realize how hard that is. And I will, I will throw that at you as well, Jason, we're in the complimenting each other segment of the podcast, <laughs> that if people could see our draft and futures game budget, how many different elements there are, and then you factor in the social media like coordinating, like we tweeted out like every pick, right? 
uh, every pick was tweeted out from from the yeah, MLB Draft Tracker account and all of the top two fifty guys from yeah, the MLB Draft account. The, the amount of things that you have to keep your eye on, uh, it, it's crazy too. So everybody like Jonathan likes to talk about my crazy eight point type. 17-page Word document <laughs> of players to who could go on day two of the draft, but the, the job you do, keeping track of everything, I, I don't know how you do it. So I don't either. Uh, <laughs> but thank you. We're all at a loss right now. Yes. Uh, we are going to take a break and come back and recap both the Futures game and the high school stuff, the high school All-American game and Home Run Derby. And oh, I forgot to mention, we're going to answer a question from the mailbag. Really? Yeah. Uh, all that coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo talking now futures game and high school all-american and home run derby start with the futures game i'm going chronological i want let's let's get the home run derby out of the way you guys had uh you guys well not official home run derby unofficial unofficial i don't want people to think they missed out that they had a futures game home run derby and like why didn't we see this on tv well i mean they they should should. (laughs) They, they, they did uh but yeah it wasn't it wasn't broadcast and it's not official but watching bp at the futures game is always a blast and and recent years we've turned it into a bit of a competition where jim and jonathan uh draft a team of four and uh, then we tally up uh, the balls that leave the yard during batting practice and uh declare a winner and two years ago i now i forgot jonathan won the first i yeah. won i squeaked by who who led you to that spencer torkelson spencer torkelson okay yeah. and then last year Jim came back with a vengeance. I think my whole and, team went off. And thumped me. I think, I think all four of them. me, I believe, is what I, you said. I think I had Jackenzie Noel and Matt Walner, and I think all four of my guys had great BPs. Yeah. yeah. And then this year, uh, Jonathan back on top, and uh, by a, it was a bit of a landslide. I would say this was a, a if it's not a trouncing, then a resounding. Uh, I ended up with 24 homers to Jim's 12, and kudos to you, Jason, for coming in second place with 13. Drafting after Drafting afterwards. Ratliff's three jets. Um, but, yeah, I, I was very consistent. I had three guys, James Wood, Junior Caminero, and Yankel Fernandez, each of whom had seven, uh, each of whom had seven home runs. I, I will say, and I, I don't know how much of BP you guys actually got to watch, but uh, Caminero's BP was. Yeah. Yeah, no, there was, there was I, I, and Brady House, who you had, yeah. hit more homers than everyone else. I'll give a quick shout out to um, our colleague JJ Cooper at Baseball America, who was our um, Unoffic- unofficial, unofficial very unofficial scorekeeper of the unofficial, home, of run the unofficial home run derby. Yeah, on to the game itself, where Jim, this this worked out pretty well for you. Uh, probably the most impressive performance of this year's game goes to your prospect crush, Jacob Mizorowski. Yeah, well, Jason you, Jason was sitting beside me in the press box. Jonathan was broadcasting the game. And as Jason can attest, you probably will never see me very often 
go from one emotional extreme to the other in the shortest span of time as I did in the middle of Futures game. So Mizrowski comes in the fourth inning, and I'm like, this should be good. Like, this can be really good. And I think I said, I bet he throws 101. Well, I underestimated him because he threw 102. <laughs> he came in. We had him as our guest on the podcast two weeks ago. He came in. Brewers right here and Jacob Mizrowski threw 11 fastballs from 100 to 102 miles an hour. He gave up a single. It was a broken bat single. Struck out the side. And he didn't use his fastball for any strikeouts. So he's throwing a 100 to 102. And he strikes out Lawrence Butler of the A's on 86-mile-an-hour curve, which is harder than a lot of guys throw a slider. And, oh, you want slider velocities. He struck out A's first baseman Tyler Soderstrom, who I will give a shout-out to for hitting six of my 12 home runs. Yep. Tyler, I'm not going to call out anybody else who's on my team. Tyler's the only guy who really showed up for me, so I do appreciate that. Struck him out on a 94-mile-an-hour slider. 94-mile-an-hour <laughs> slider. And then he, he took it a little easy on Justin Henry Malloy, the Tigers, and he only struck him out on a 92-mile-an-hour slider. And, again, I mean, it's one inning. This doesn't mean, like, he's got it all figured out. But the biggest issue with him, I mean, he's got relatively inexperienced. He's going to be controlling command. I, I think he's probably got the best stuff in the minor leagues or as good as anybody's until Paul Skeen signs a pro contract. And interestingly, he was committed to LSU out of Crowder Junior Crowder Junior College in Missouri. So if he hadn't signed last year at the Brewers, he would have pitched with Paul Skeens this year at LSU. And we were having fun talking to Jay Johnson, who was on the draft broadcast about that. And he was just shaking his head about how good Mizorowski is, about what that would have been like. But um, he threw 14 of 18 pitches for strikes. So, I mean, it was very exciting. I texted the two scouts who tipped me off to him in high school in 2020 when he hadn't been on the showcase circuit much and just said, this guy's a chance to throw hundred someday. And they were right. And one guy responded like, I need a cigarette after that. And the, <laughs> and the other guy just responded filthy. Um, so that was very cool. And then an inning later, I had catastrophic failure of my computer that, <laughs> oh, that plagued my futures game story and had a detrimental effect on my mock draft. It was just, a, it was a bad evening after that. Like I, Jim Callis claims laptop to blame for terrible mock drafts. <laughs> I just didn't have the time to, to, to do everything, but it, but it's fine. But I was just oh, wait, let's not uh, gloss over the condition of your lap, laptop. No, just, it, it is literally falling apart. Yeah. It seems and it is literally taped together. Jim is fixing the tape on his laptop as we speak. Yeah, with Gaffer's tape. Uh, we'll give, I mean, we're going to give a shout-out to Juan Avilas of our IT department, who yeah. came from the hotel, had to get a little tiny screwdriver, take my computer apart, make it turn off because it locked up and would not unlock, and then got it going again, and then went back to the hotel, and I had texted him, like, and now it's literally falling apart at the seams, and gave me, I have a giant roll of Gaffer's tape that I keep applying to my... Computer, my poor computer. But anyway, and neither of these guys won the futures game MVP, Mizrowski or uh, or Juan or Juan. Yeah, well, Juan was more kind of post game, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. So I was just bringing it up from the standpoint of I was so it was so exciting, Jacob Mizrowski. And then anything later, I'm like, I do not know what to do with my computer. Uh, anyway, that, those were my two most vivid memories of the futures game were Jacob Mizrowski and my computer. Uh, how about? Uh, Couple other standouts from the game. We, we like, nobody cares who, who won, but the National League won five to nothing. They did, and and we'll give a shout out to Nassim Nunez for winning MVP honors. Came up the double with the bases loaded, um, yeah. and stole a base. So you know, tip of the hat to him. I wanted to mention Mick Abel, um, who I've liked uh, since his high school days. Same high school as Noble Meyer, um, right down the road, right? Yeah, uh, right down the road, and. 
he, I think he kind of showed what he's been as a pro. Like the stuff is really, really good. And he still needs to sort of figure out some command things, especially the secondary stuff. But he was, you know, up to 99, 96 to 99 with his fastball. Uh, he got uh, uh, Jonathan Classe with a really nice curveball. Uh, but if he lands that for strikes, he's going to be really good. And uh, blew a fastball by Harry Ford. Um, you know, so... Yeah, there were some command issues there, but uh, was just dominant right out of the gate as a National League starter. And that's like, there's a lot of adrenaline. It's kind of a home game for you. Um, I'm sure you had a lot of people in, in, you know, in the crowd, uh, and you're starting, and uh, he showed off the reason why he was a first-rounder in the first place. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, you know, there was certainly some that thought Mizorowski uh, should have been the MVP of the game, including perhaps some people in this room. Mm -hmm. um, but it, there were no hitter had more than one hit. Um, on the pitching side, the shutout was the third ever in Futures game history. First since, what, 2005. 2005, yeah. Been a long time. Um, Abel, Tink Hintz, uh, Wisenhunt, Mizorowski, Schwellenbach, Massey, Vassal, Montverde, Montverde combined for 12 strikeouts in seven shutout innings. So uh, pretty impressive performance on the mound there for the National League team. Uh, yeah, I mean, Futures game is always an absolute blast. And uh, this year, no exception. Still wish it was nine innings. But, uh, Agreed. On to the high school All-American game and home run derby, where for the second consecutive year, we had a double-double. The... Uh, MVP of the All-American game, uh, also won the Home Run Derby. That happened last year with a guy we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast, episode of the podcast already, Aiden Miller. And this year, uh, P.J. Morlando and a guy that I would imagine we could be talking about uh, a year from now on, on this podcast. I think there's a good chance we'll be talking about him. He, may, he, he, he has maybe, from what we've seen the best combination of bat speed and power potential of the high school players, um, you know, without sort of deriding anybody, I think this class isn't quite as good as last year's class at this point. Um, last year's class being the high school <laughs> class. This year. Yes. Yeah, right. Year's right. Draft, yeah. Last yeah, year's yeah. high school. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Time We're work. Already um, moved on. Like, right. Draft. I think, you know, LaTroy Hawkins, a uh, friend of the podcast, uh, who does a lot of stuff with USA Baseball, kind of put it best. He was saying last year there were guys who were stars, right? Max Clark was a star. Walker Jenkins are kind of already a star. He's like, there are guys this year who don't know that they're stars yet. Orlando may be the exception. That a ton of personality, uh, quick left-handed swing, and a ton of raw power, and he – uh, was terrific in the home run derby uh, throughout and, and then, you know, hit the ball hard in the game as well. So uh, I'm excited to see what happens for him, you know, coming next spring to see where where he lands in the 2024 draft class. The uh, All-American game, seven innings. Um, <laughs> it's funny because last year was nine innings. There were... How, a ton of walks, a ton of errors. Uh, pretty sloppy game, quite frankly. Four-hour game. Pretty sloppy four-hour game. Yeah, this Nine year, years. seven innings, 
no extra base hits. Um, what else? Jim, I think we saw the, the most. There were six singles and 20 hits. I mean, 20 strikeouts. Six singles and 20 strikeouts. Yeah. And, and, and you know, even on the defensive end, you know, according to StatCast, the most difficult play made in the game had a 95% uh, catch probability. Yeah. Uh, so wasn't a whole lot to it. Um, but there are a lot of players like Morlando that we are going to be talking about this time next year, come draft time. Who, who are some other guys uh, who played in the game, uh, maybe some top performers or just guys that will be will be seen taken high uh, next year? Yeah, I mean, there were, there were a ton of pitchers who excelled in the game with six singles and 20 strikeouts. Um, I thought Carson Wiggins had as good stuff as anybody we saw out there. His yeah. brother Jackson, who went to Arkansas, had Tommy John surgery, went in the top two rounds, and I want to say Cubs, but the draft is still a blur. Anyway, Carson Wiggins, his younger brother, high schooler from Oklahoma, threw 95-97, he was the most consistent hard thrower in the game, struck out one guy on a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, got another strikeout on a slider, got swinging this with a changeup. So he was kind of interesting. I think probably the best pitching prospect who also pitched well, to have a very narrow category there, was probably Kem Caminiti, mm-hmm. who reclassified from 2025 draft to 2024, just 16 years old. He came in, had very efficient inning, 11 to 14 pitches for strikes, sat at 94 with the fastball, got a couple whiffs with his mid-70s curveball. And he's a cousin, if I have this correctly, Jason, you were researching cousin technology or, or definition terminology, terminology. terminology. I can't use all my words correctly here. Cousin terminology. He is a cousin, because you're going to ask Kim, Kim, Kim Caminiti, is he related to Kim Caminiti? And the answer is yes. yes. He's a cousin once removed. Yes. And I think he has a chance, Jonathan, I know you've already started looking at your class, which I have not had the time or the energy to do yet, but he's going to be a pretty early pick next year. Yeah. At I least think, as of now. I think, uh, I think he has a good chance. And kudos to you, by the way, Jackson Wiggins, technically a uh, compensation pick in the second, you know, after the second round to the Chicago Cubs, Jackson Wiggins. So, um, and uh, Carson Wiggins, I thought had the best, the, the most sort of like make you sit up in your chair outing. But Kemenity is really interesting, especially because he really, he reclassified. There are a few guys in this class who are really good who reclassified, um, uh, you know, and but he did it just at the very, very beginning of the summer. So the industry hadn't even really caught up. Guys like Connor Griffin uh, is a guy who reclassified, uh, Noah Franco also, but they had done it a while ago. So they've been already scouted with this class, but uh, people didn't know that much about Cam and Eddie. They do now, and they're going to uh, for the rest uh, for the rest of the summer for sure. We actually have uh, a, a 2024 mock draft yes uh coming out uh, in a few days jonathan you've already put that together and we'll see quite a few of these guys names on that all right uh we're gonna wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag uh we have one from a jason and one from a jim uh this one comes from jason reds fan uh, jason, not jason Rallis. jason underscore reds fan uh no uh where do you foresee the top arms from the draft Skeens, Louder, Meyer, slotting into the top 100. Well, I, I want to say, do we talk about this? Right. The reason probably was Skeen, like, yeah. Skeen's the best pitch across the baseball the day he signs. 
I yes. feel like to me. So I think Skeens is going in the top five, five? to ten range. Yeah. Yes. I know. I think that that's fine. Louder, you know, probably hedge a bet a little bit because this. I always feel like I'm aligning Rhett Louder's stuff, and it's not fair. His stuff is pretty it good. It's because <laughs> he gets compared. Here's the second pitcher drafts it, and the first pitcher was Paul Skeen. Yes, has like insane right. stuff. And it's That's like, true. Man, poor Rhett throws 92, 95, <laughs> and his slider is just solid. It's yeah, not a seven or really eight. Yeah, he's good. But I would, you know, so, and I'm not like I'm not looking at our top 100 at all. What what do you think in the twenties somewhere maybe? Ooh, I think that's high. Like I, I that's a little bit high for me. I have maybe college World Series recency bias or something. Yeah, I mean I'm looking like like I'm looking at the lefties on the list. I, I put him behind Kyle Harrison, who's number twelve right now. The next one's Ricky Tiedemann, and he's kind of a wild card because he's hurt. Um, you know Andrew Abbott's down around. 58, and it's funny because Andrew Abbott's performed so well in the big leagues. I don't know. Red Louder to me feels like he's someone like, – what's crazy is how few healthy pitching prospects are in the league. Like, why, why are we, you only comparing him to lefties? I don't know why. Because <laughs> he's a crafty righty. Yeah, anyway. I don't know why I'm I doing I literally had to double-check him. Yeah, he's yeah, I know. not left-handed. Yeah, I know. I, it's he I have pitches. something to tell you. Yeah, yeah. I am not left-handed. Wait, wait, wait. Here's what I'm saying. Like, so like, so that, that helps put him in perspective. So like Mick Abel. Do you take Mick Abel or do you take Red Louder? Different types of right-handers. I might take Rhett Louder. Okay. Um, I have to go scroll up a list a little bit. Brendan Fott is a righty. We haven't. I wouldn't put him in twenty. I, I think he's in that kind of thirty to forty. Okay. Years. I mean, but we're not yeah. that we're not that far off from each other. Yeah. And now, if you were left-handed, John. Yes. <laughs> um, Noble Meyer. By the way, uh, we're we're sort of skimming over the fact that he skipped over Chase Dolander, who actually also went in the top ten. Um, but maybe he was just basing it on the rankings. No, we had Dolander in the top. Anyway, um, Noble Meyer is a high schooler. I really like him. Uh, you know, great stuff and feel for pitching. He's going to have to work on life of his fastball, that kind of stuff. Abel, Noble Meyer. Uh, well, they're kind of similar. I think Meyer's got a Same better feel school. for pitching than Abel. Yeah. But Abel's been in pro ball for – I would go behind him. I would Owen say in White. the 40s range maybe. Well, Mick Abel's 43. So you got 50? Owen, Owen White's 45. Kate Horton's 47. Well, I know you love Kate Horton. Gavin Stone's – Max Meyer's 51. Daniel Spino's 52. I'd, like, put, him, I'd put him in front of those guys. Yeah, so he's, he's in that in 40 in that to 50 range. range. Yeah. Okay. So All right. Now, now, now I have a question. Can I ask a question? Oh, so this question from Jim is from Jim Callis. Here. Jim Callis from uh, Seattle Seahawks Copy Room, Washington, <laughs> um, wants to know, have any of us written a book that is coming out this week, or maybe has already come out this week, because I've lost huh? track of what date it is. Jonathan, yeah. I'll let you take it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, guys. I have not. I appreciate it. I really? have. I have. Well, you know, you, you did and didn't tell anybody. <laughs> you know, Um yeah, it actually officially came out today as we're as we're recording this on on All Star Game Tuesday. Um, it's called Smart, Wrong, and Lucky: uh, The Origin of the Game's Unexpected Stars, and it kind of looks at you know we talk to scouts all the time, and they're great storytellers, and it's uh, really about guys who were undervalued or underrated as amateurs, who then went on to become stars. So. Uh, during day three of the draft, when they put up that graphic of guys taken in rounds 11 through 20, I was like, oh, I should 
what about my book right here? Because Albert Pujols was on the list and he has a chapter in the book because he's the guy that comes out often. And I talk to players whenever I could, but it's really letting the scouts tell the story of how they found these guys, what they saw in them. And Jim, you know, the scouts are way too smart. They've been humbled way too many times. Every time I gave them the opportunity to say, okay, now's your chance to say, I knew Jacob DeGrom was going to be the greatest pitcher on earth when we when they drafted him in the ninth round. Ninth round, yeah. Let's see. I, have, I knew that, but it's flitted on my mind out of fatigue. Ninth round out of Stetson and uh, – to a man, every single scout I talked to was like, "I'm too smart for that." You know, I've been, I've gotten too many wrong uh, to to try to make a claim like that. But it's all stories like that, uh, of guys who kind of far exceeded expectations compared to their amateur evaluation. Well, I'm looking forward. You, you gave me a copy of the book with a very nice inscription. I was planning on reading it on the plane home tomorrow. I feel like I'll be having writing responsibilities, so I may not get to it, but I'm going to dive into the book. It'll keep. And I know you know the answer to this, and Jason probably does. We'll have a quick quiz. Well, we'll do a quick quiz. On Jonathan's book? Really, we're just talking about Jacob deGrom, who is more famously a shortstop at Stetson. Yeah. You probably know the answer, but you know who hit his only college home run off of. You know the answer, I know. I do. Is it in the book? (laughs) It is. Oh. I I, I know I've heard this. But I don't think I can't remember. Chris Sale. Chris Sale. Yes. And and it's funny because he you know he also faced Chris Sale pitching, and the the Mets who were interested in him but were you know didn't see much else interest because he pitched mostly in relief uh, until partway through his his junior year when Stetson staff realized that he was the only pitcher who was good really on on the staff. They were afraid because they faced each other like in a, I think in the conference tournament they faced each other twice but. Uh, they were afraid that the cat would get out of the bag, so to speak, because he was pitching in this huge matchup with all these people going to see Chris Sale. But yet Chris Sale, big lefty, thrown 97, 98. And at the time, Jacob deGrom was 88 to 90, 91, with good command, athletic on the mound. So no one really paid that much attention, and the Mets were able to get their guy. It's like every one of these stories could be a, a podcast episode. It could. I'm right. working on that. All right, everybody, make sure you get out. And get that book, Smart, Wrong, and Lucky, The Origin Stories of Baseball's Unexpected Stars. Thanks, guys. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.